So guys, uh, one of the, uh, I guess one of the credos of NCS is developing friendships with Jesus and friendships with each other. And as we were putting together the agenda today, uh, we're thinking who better than um, uh, Charlie Schottmeyer to interview or introduce George Merwer. Yeah. Uh, the reason I say that is friendships, um, they take they take work, right? Well, these friendships that George and Charlie have will pack seventy years. Which I'm here. You're going to hear some of those stories when they were in high school together and even Sunday school. But uh, we just thought it would be very important to kind of show what friendships mean, and we just wanted to have Charlie come up and say a few words to introduce George. So, Charlie, thank you, Tom. And it's a uh, privilege to uh, be here and be here with George. Uh, you know, I've got to tell you what White Wolf was like when we were growing up, before Route 208. You know, we had two dairy farms, we had a pig farm, a goat farm, a couple of big chicken farms. There was a downtown of White Wolf. It was at the corner of Franklin and White Wolf Ave. And the, uh, the brick building that stands there now, formerly a bakery, was the A&P in town. But there was one other grocery store, Temple's Market, down by the railroad station. We had neighborhoods. We had uh, the, the, the guys that all lived near the center of town. And then we had the guys that lived where I was, up on Russell Avenue and, and Sycamax section. And then you had the East White Club guys. And it's still, town is pretty well divided up that way now. But the, um, you know, I, I don't think you ever knew that there were actually, there were uh, gangs back in those days. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the town guys versus the Sycamac guys versus the East White Club guys. And the, the weapons of choice were acorns in the fall and crab apples. And I, I attribute that the, uh, the sports programs that are fully developed today in White Club. They, they were the sports programs of the day because when the, when the White Club, the Sycamac guys went into town, the Percy's or someplace, we'd get pelted by acorns. And the, the arms, the, you know, this is where these guys learned to use their pitching arms. And they were great. But anyway, all these years with George, he was a role model to me in the young days for good, bad, or worse. But in the in the later days, after he came to, to the Lord, uh, it was for the for the good. So here we are, a couple of old geezers, and uh, he's still my my mentor and my role model. So George, without any further ado, and by the way, whatever I said uh, is off the record because it's not public information. <laughs> As you see, we have a fantastic book table. It's a once-in-a-life experience. Um, once-in-a-life experience to have this book table because everything there is free. People these days don't often carry much cash. We don't have any credit card system. I just arrived from England last night, and we want to give all these books away. So even if you've not learned to read yet, you may have friends that read, maybe children. And uh, please, everybody take three or four books because I only have one other meeting at uh, one of my supporting churches. 
Anybody here from Trinity and Cardale? That's where I'll be Sunday morning. I really believe this is an important meeting. Uh, I'm weary actually of taking meetings and I'm celebrating a year and a half of less meetings than ever in my life. I always seem to have a Zoom meeting every third day, especially into India. But I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to continue to have meetings because I've had over 1,000 letters, way more, of people completely changed in one meeting. Not because of me, but because I'm God's instrument. And I have 100,000 people who follow me in prayer. When I went in the hospital not long ago for my triple heart bypass, that seemed to be quite popular, actually. Uh, I think 1,500 Facebook friends in one day, you know, said they were uh, remembering me. No wonder I'm feeling more or less 100% after that surgery. And there's a tremendous example of how one meeting uh, can change a person's life. And it's someone I wanted to introduce anyway because he had the courage to pick me up last night at Newark Airport. My friend David Petrie, please do stand up. He went to one meeting. He went to one meeting when I spoke at Cornerstone a few years ago. And you can ask me, it completely changed the course of our life. We probably exchanged 100 emails since then. We've had many different meetings. Um, especially when he was back in Wall Street. And it's just an example. Of course, many people have their lives changed in my meetings, especially now through Zoom. You know, I don't get a chance to meet them. And so I really believe, and I pray you'll be open to some kind of radical decision about your own walk with the Lord Jesus and the challenge to go into all the world and preach the gospel every creature and the challenge to love your neighbor as you love yourself all these radical things that some of you have heard since childhood some of you of course are new and believe me on in our books we cover a wide span span of people all my life started right here in Wyckoff I've been distributing gospel tracts since my conversion I remember blitzing New York City with about 20,000 gospel tracks in one day I'm still a teenager and it's always been other people's tracks so finally you know some of us are really slow we have to get into our 80s before things really begin to happen <laughs> and, uh, I've written my first gospel track <laughs> climate change this is the hottest subject in Europe it's also hotter here more than many people think and will continue globally one of the biggest oil companies in France just confessed they knew about this in the 70s and buried the information. So it's a, a huge conference coming up <coughs> in Glasgow about this. It doesn't matter to me this morning what you think about climate change. This is about internal climate change. Amen. And all these lofty goals people keep mouthing about, and I listen to way too much. Some of them are good. We're never going to reach them because it takes a change of behavior. And we're seeing as much misbehavior, even among the Lord's people, <clears throat> than perhaps ever before in history. If someone could put a water at that table, <clears throat> it helps me. So even if you don't want a book, <clears throat> even if you don't want a book, please pick up my leaflet, Internal Climate Change. I don't want to talk about the books 
Let's just pray. <coughs> Lord, I just thank you for this privilege of back, being back in my hometown, though. I know people here from many towns. And I thank you for Dorothy Clapp when I went to Ramsey High School. Very happy lost kid that she prayed for me and sent me that gospel and changed, changed the course of my life. And I thank you for your faithful servant, Billy Graham. And I thank you for Ed Gallenkamp, who gave us a free ride into New York City. His son in law, Gordon, is with us even uh, this morning. Thank you for saving me and sending me first to the high school and to the streets of Wyckoff and other towns into Mexico. Lord, you know the story as it became one of the largest mission agencies in all of history, touching literally hundreds of millions of people across the world. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I personally have always felt if someone was from Wyckoff, especially whether they love Jesus or not, they should know this amazing story of something that started from complete nothing. There was no big finance. There was no church really behind it in a major way. It was a little bit as Cornerstone was just being born at that time. I got linked with them and that this exploded into this huge global movement. 200,000 have served with Operation Mobilization. 25,000 of them are in leadership across the world. Some of them huge organizations uh, with one of them way more staff than we have on OM. One little Indian brother walked into one of my meetings and it turned his life upside down, inside out. The rest is history. And it can all be traced back to 243 and Houghton Avenue, which actually became our office with my dear mother running with very small finance in the very, very early days. So I hope, and I know you're from many towns, but I hope you'll use this story just to get conversation. It's not always easy to get conversations with people. You can't immediately hit them with your favorite Bible verse or the six things you disagree with about the government or about your church or about your wife or whatever, but just to somehow listen to people and share something that might surprise them, especially that the old founder, uh, by the way, 18 years ago, I turned over all the leadership step back, including advisory, and I loved it. Let me just tell you, some of you headed for so-called retirement. The last 18 years were better than the previous 18. Leadership has a pain factor, and I was glad to give that up and be a free bird. No more committee meetings, no more discussions about the same thing we discussed four years ago. Just pray and preach and write and distribute books and love your wife. And I just thank the Lord uh, for the amazing provision of this dear wife that he gave me. Uh, after two years fasting, I was such I was so, there's the water, I don't need it now, but it's psychological. <laughs> and uh, anyway, some of you have seen the film of my life story. I'd be happy to send it to you. You can now get it free on Vision TV, an amazing website. But um, 
I was involved with so many different girls. You know, we didn't jump in bed with them in those days. We just kicked, kissed a, a storm. And um, things got very confusing uh, when I led a girl to Christ and then kissed her for the next hour. That was, <laughs> that was true. But I remember this buzz right by the Washington Memorial uh, in, in D.C. By the way, I was still in the fire extinguisher business. All these streets around here, I've covered all of them selling fire extinguishers. Most of them didn't want one. <laughs> I did. I did manage to sell some, and then soon I had about two hundred agents part time selling these. And I went in business when I was only fourteen. And in some ways, I've never become an ordained pastor. In many ways, I've always just considered myself a business person. Because when you open bookshops, and we opened six of them in Mexico in the first two years, and then you get involved in buying ships and operating ships. We're on our fourth ship, Lagos Hope. And one of the most exciting things, any younger person you know, one of the most exciting things they can do in their life is spend a year on our ship. It soon will cross the Atlantic to West Africa. Some of the countries there, amazing, have very little COVID. Uh, we know that can change, but uh, we have open doors for Lagos Hope right now in West Africa. We're in the Caribbean. But so many, and that's been going on 50 years. Again, we've had thousands of communications from people, some of them quite old now, the original crew 50 years ago, say that was the greatest experience of their entire life. You know, in our lives, we can't remember every year. We can't remember every experience. But some experiences, so they really stand out. And uh, the, the ship isn't just training people to go into officially what's called ministry. We're changing, we're wanting to change and train people for every walk of life. One of our former members was a member of parliament. Now he's only in the Scottish parliament. And I'm sure you agree that we need men and women of God in every sphere of life. That's why your present job probably is actually way more important than you realize because God has that amazing way of working through different people, different situations, in different jobs. I've spent a lot of time preparing this message and it's always the same. I come with 10 times more than I've got time. That's why I'm begging you, I'm literally begging you to pick up my latest book, the most honest book even close friends of mine said. They were shocked how personal I got. Confessions of a Toxic Perfectionist. You can't be born in the United States. You can't be born in New Jersey and not have a toxic streak. Well, the Bible is pretty clear, isn't it? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But our culture, especially in Europe, we can't use the word sin. That is totally out. And yet in the House of the Parliament about two years ago, the head guy stood up and he said, this place is toxic. Whoa, did that give me the freedom? So I changed the verse. All are toxic. And fall short of the glory of God. And uh, the power of our culture, the power of our family, especially if we came from a strict home, uh, the power of the Christian culture that we've tried to create creates a lot of good things. And I have very positive things about commitment to excellency. Don't worry about that. But with it, because we're 
fallen needy human beings comes that toxic factor. If you've never read a book, maybe you could read this one. And uh, just off the press recently, and it's brought me the most amazing feedback from readers. Uh, some have read it two or three times. David, how many times have you read it? A couple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> He's still working on his toxic factor. <laughs> <laughs> like me. You know, one of the best things is just to acknowledge our weaknesses, our struggles, and our failures. And of all the things I talk about, it's when I share about my struggles and my failures that I get the most amazing response, especially from men. Because all my life I've wrestled with lust of the eyes. Naked women are just unbelievably turn on, incredible, hard to explain for me, even at 83. So I have to avoid naked women. <laughs> but every morning I have the privilege of putting the painkiller on my wife and she's always naked. <laughs> and she's still attracted. You know, when you're my age, almost anything can attract you. <laughs> she's still attracted. And we've had more time together due to COVID than ever in her life. I spent one third of my life away from my wife. She never complained. Rearing three children and five grandchildren, six great grandchildren. And you might want to pray because I know she's finding it harder that I'm away for a longer period, two weeks for the first time in 18 months. Some of you listened to my tapes and you know how once I was in the woods in London. When you're a Christian leader and you got this perfectionist streak, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to get discouraged when you fail. <clears throat> so here I was leading this large organization, <clears throat> all these leaders supposedly being mentored by me. I'm in the woods, and there, one of the old porno magazines. I never got into heavy porno of these. We used to call them girly magazines. I remember the first batch I found when I was babysitting, not far from here. I was snooping around a guy's basement. I was about 14, and I found a whole pile of these magazines. It's lucky I didn't get, you know, die right on the spot. So here I was, years later, this Christian leader is preaching around the world. And I'm in the woods, <clears throat> one of these same old-fashioned magazines, unbelievably attractive women <clears throat> hanging in a tree. <clears throat> you don't expect to find magazines like that in the tree. I usually find, hardly ever spend a dime on such magazines, but I found them in toilets and they've blown me away. So here I am in the woods. Someone had used the magazine for target practice. And, uh, you know, I should have just, in the name of Jesus, we hear about a victorious life, the spirit-filled life, more, more than conquerors. I've heard more than 1,000 messages along that line. So surely <clears throat> I'll come out of there victorious. The magazine blew me away for quite a few minutes. And when that happens to you and you're a leader, you feel you're going to quit. And, uh, you know, I had a foul vocabulary when I was only 16. I tried to stop swearing. I put pennies in a bank every time I swore that I broke the bank, took the money back. <laughs> I came out of that wood so beaten down and I had, I had already had that before. I don't need this again. But I knew God still loved me. I was his child. 
His child has failed, his child has fallen, but his child is being picked up and is forgiven. And I knew God still loved me. And I knew that he could even use me. I was ready to resign any time as a leader. I never wanted to be a leader in the first place. I just wanted to evangelize the whole world. <clears throat> well, to do that, you might want to like recruit people. And somehow <clears throat> I ended up always with a team of people. By the way, Dale Rotan, who was with me in the very first trip to Mexico, his Parkinson's is increasing. And I just talked to him on the phone. He's moving from San Diego to Florida. We're exact same age. We met at Maryville College before he went to Wheaton and I went to Moody, one of the most important relationships in my life. But he's, he's going downhill, but he's been accepted, just like a CMA missionary into the Shell Village uh, Retirement Center at the, same, at the same price. And he's selling his house in San Diego. Don't even think of all the bucks Dale's getting for selling, selling his house for San Diego, I just want to know how much of it am I going to get? <laughs> I think it's going to cover at Shell Village. So what is this all about? It's just me, my stumbling, needy way, wanting to tell you God wants to use you. God wants to use you more than you're, and I'm sure you're being used already. I talk about that in my book as well especially my earlier book. I don't know if I have a copy of that here. It's called Messiology, showing how God uh, can work in the midst of the mess. How did I miss you in that book? Anyway. You got a bunch over here, George. Oh, yeah. But God wants to use you. God uses all kinds of people. You may have weaknesses. You may have failures. It's a great mistake to think we're ever going to. There it is. Uh, we're ever going to walk the walk with Jesus and not still sin. And that is so important. I talk about that in both of these books. Because together with having to live with our own sin, even though we keep repenting, we keep growing, things do improve, of course. But no one is perfect this side of heaven. <clears throat> but also that brings with us the challenge of living with the sinful the sinfulness of other people. And it makes us much more forgiving, much more loving. I don't know if any of you have a critical spirit. I was naturally gifted at criticizing. <laughs> and uh, God, of course, I was so fortunate. God started overhauling me right here when I was only 17 and 18, through especially through books and especially the teaching and writing of Billy Graham. And then Oswald J. Smith came into my life. And this wild guy, this converted band leader, Jack Worston, who was very blunt in preaching about sex, was an enormous help for me. Some people don't discover these basic revolutionary truths until much later in their life. It's much harder. The later you are down life's road, the harder it is to make radical changes in your habits, what comes out of your mouth, what you think about. Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite writers, says 95% of the Christian life is about attitude. I've preached publicly all over the world. You know, someone like me hears Swindoll say that. I'm from New Jersey. I first of all swear at him, and then I tell him it's impossible. But in fact, <laughs> I've embraced the challenge of Charles Swindoll and deal immediately with any wrong attitude toward any brother or sister 
or any unsaved person. It's completely ridiculous that here in our country, we have the same in England, we expect non-believers who we say are slaves to sin, we expect them basically to keep the rules. We don't want them breaking any of our cultural so-called Christian rules. All goes back to Constantine making Christianity official and everything got so completely wild in confusion since then. Though I've been studying church history now for about 60 years, it just blows my circuit to reread it. Yet in the midst of it, God was working. And I would challenge you to read that book and even email me. I read every email personally. I can never get too many. I get 74 just on the airplane. I mean, what else are you going to do on the airplane? I mean, they got these, these films, but my, my emails are more exciting than these films. You know, get an email, 30 people received Bibles, all of them accepted Christ at the same time. I've had emails like that immediately from Africa. We're way too many, please pray, because way too many are coming to Christ in Africa. We can't really handle it. <laughs> and many of the poorer families, they don't even have Bibles. So one of the greatest passions in my life is to raise money for Bibles for Africa. And I raised about a quarter of a million dollars. In fact, one of the most exciting things last year, can you imagine this? A, a, a very humble man in the south of England, he, he contacted me and he said, I've got 20 Kruger Rands I'd like to give you. Well, you know, what's that worth? Is that, is that 20 pounds? Is that $20? Uh, on the present market, he said, it's worth 25,000 pounds. Can you come down and pick them up? <laughs> I went all the way to Plymouth to pick up 20 Kruger Rands. They're very, you know, you can put them in your, in your pockets. And then I had to go to central London. I was hoping the guy would give me a check with all these Kruger Rands in the middle of COVID. And I'm coming back from central London to our house with 25,000 pounds for all of it for Bibles for Africa. Some of you may eventually get into fundraising as I'm in now. Um, let me tell you, it's exciting. And there's a lot of money available. A lot of money available. I had a man just look at one of my book tables in Houston, Texas. And he didn't even talk to me. He just handed 100000 to my helper who was with me. And later he showed me the check for 100000 Hey, is that exciting? Mm -hmm. And the joy of spending that in ways that you know is going to accomplish God's purposes. So I think I'm more or less out of time. And we want to give you time to go for the books. Ten, ten minutes, though. Oh, I still got ten, ten minutes. Ten or let me touch... Uh, several other points because I actually had a title, title for this message and then I forgot it. <laughs> no, no. You guys need to be more serious. <laughs> but it, the title I had is Confessions of a Weak Missionary. I'll never forget preaching in Chicago this message for the first time. Very vulnerable. I've shared one story of my failure with a magazine. But this was seven, seven areas of weakness that I shared and how I discovered his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. There was a really tough advertising guy there. And he was big in the, remember the Marble cigarette ads? Are they still around? And uh, he was making a lot of money. He was not a believer. 
His wife had dragged him to church. Have any of you been dragged to church by your wife? Maybe you found Jesus. Now I know a lot of men would like to drag their wives to church. It's not so easy. But anyway, somehow through that message, which was aimed at believers, <clears throat> he was born again. I had given an invitation. Um, Winneka Bible Church out of South Chicago. We became lifelong friends. So I do occasionally give that message, and somehow the Lord uses it. Another man, I was supposed to meet this man. I was speaking at a campus crusade. That's the old name of Agape, and they changed it again. And I was very linked with Bill Bright. But um, we were supposed to meet at a, a campus crusade fundraising event. He's putting a lot of money into the Jesus Dome, which is one of the greatest projects in the history of the church. Things went wrong. He wasn't in the meeting. The one time I had to preach. <clears throat> in God's sovereignty, he picked up a tape. Confessions of a weak missionary. He listened to that tape. He has been through divorce. He, you know, pe divorced people get persecuted often by the church. Not so longer anymore by the government. It used to be by the government and everybody. But now mainly just by the church. We're the first mission agency to recruit divorced people. I could write three books about how God uses divorced people. That doesn't mean it was right in the first place. We have plan A. We have plan B. We don't live in a plan A world, my friend. And today, one of the greatest mission forces are people who have been through divorce. Some of them even remarried like the first captain of our ship. If you think you're going to recruit ship captains and chief engineers from the local Sunday school camp, you may want to rethink that. <laughs> Many of these people had really tough backgrounds, alcoholism, divorce, especially one of the best chief engineers, remarried, and yet a lifetime of service. So never allow anyone to exclude themselves. God can't use me. God uses all kinds of people. What are some of my other struggles? I used to have enormous struggles with fear. For two years, I wrestled with the fear of airplanes and didn't want to go on airplanes. David Wilkerson had the same thing. Hardly ever went on a flight until he got really old. Never forget the day that he and I met each other. But somehow, in God's mercy, I just kept flying and say, you know, so walk up to get on the plane. Uh, Lord, probably I'm coming home. <laughs> and then it went. That fear went and it had other fears. And as you get older, which I'm facing now, you, you, you struggle more with anxiety. I can get anxious about the little things. And the two of my wife and I together, we put our anxiety together like it's atomic. <laughs> I mean, all kinds of things can happen. But again and again, uh, God showed me the way out of anxiety. He used uh, John Hagney's book, How to Win Over Worry and Care. I cannot express how much books have meant in my own life. Because I'm a person of many questions. And I had many struggles and many problems. And individuals have been used. I've listened to sermons of over 1,000 men and women of God. And women have been used as they bring often tremendous balance. I want to take my remaining time just to mention some of these other books because I don't all these years mainly push my own books. There's Swindoll's Grace Awakening. I know it's a big book and I recommend you start in the middle. 
That's what I did. It was quite confusing, but I was really, I was really uh, oiling your marriage through grace. How's your marriage going? The marriage is the number one temperature of your spiritual life. How's that going? Loving her as Christ loved the church. That's enough to knock anybody out. But forgiveness comes right behind it. So Swindoll's book, Graciously Disagreeing and Pressing On. The church is more divided in America, especially on the political issues, uh, than ever before in history. So this book is more relevant. Graciously degreeing, disagreeing, and pressing on. We're not going to all agree on all these issues. We're a very issue-oriented place. We should be more of a God-focused, God-centered, rather than issue-centered, though issues have their place. I beg you to read that book. This is the best book, most influential book in my life in the last 10 years. It's all about women. Women across the world are suffering 10 times more than most of us realize. That book changed my life, caused me to put much, way more money into uh, helping women, especially the sex traffic crisis and other similar situations. I know it's hard to take time to read. You're all busy. But this comes from a bigger book. I condensed it into this smaller book, Save Our Sisters. By the way, if any of you read any of these books, please email me because I battle discouragement every day as I keep aiming too high. And so when I get an email like from David, it really encourages me. That's another one of my weakness subjects, discouragement, disappointment. Uh, we, we don't want to go into details, get you depressed. This is brand new. This is brand new. I don't even know what this book's about. No, no, you don't have you don't have to read the whole book, just the titles. Just look at that title. Respectable sin. But I know Jerry G Bridges, great leader of the navigator that your brother was with, now with Jesus. Jerry's probably dancing with him in heaven. He's left a tremendous legacy. The people spend a fortune to go to a seminary and theological college, Bible college. You can get some of the best material they can ever teach at a college from books. I beg of you, become a reader, even if it's only a chapter a day. If you read that one, Respectable Sins, and send me a review, I'll send you $100. So I hope that for those of you who are broken in debt, uh, we'll pick up that opportunity. Thinking of money, Randy Alcorn's Treasure Principle. Solid gold. How many of you, by the way, know this book? Read it. How many of you are literate? Raise your hands. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's put their hand up. I think you're all in a state of shock. And then one of the very best books for guys like me, struggling with moral purity all my life, The Purity Principle, small book. Imagine, these, these sell in the bookshops for $15. We're here begging you to take one free. So if you don't take some of these books free, I suggest... I recommend a good psychiatrist as soon as possible. <laughs> this is an opportunity you don't want to miss. And guess what? One of the best children's books ever put into print. Any of you know any children? <laughs> yeah, we got more hands on that. Kids Prayer Adventure. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the authors of these books. 
We thank you for Randy Alcorn. We thank you for Jerry Bridges. We thank you for the Navigators. We thank you for the tremendous, the tremendous size of the body of Christ here in the USA. The global influence that the church in the USA with all of its variety has across the world. It reminds me to cry out to you for these uh, missionaries kidnapped in Haiti, that they want $15 million to release them. Maybe that's resolved while I was on the flight yesterday, but Lord, we're stunned by some of these global situations. And we therefore thank you. We can be involved <coughs> with our time, with our money, with advocacy, with sharing with others, with distributing books and leaflets like this climate change leaflet. So Lord, don't allow us, don't allow us anymore to be hearers of the word. Don't allow this dynamic radical message just to be a head trip, but take it to our feet, Lord. Take it into our homes, into our cars, into our business, that somehow we may, we may have a global impact in our own lives. And Lord, if you can take one needy kid from Van Houten Avenue, Wycombe, and somehow use them despite all his struggles and weaknesses, haven't even begun to talk about all my doubts as a struggling borderline uh, uh, agnostic all my life, then I know you can use every man in this room in ways they perhaps have never dreamed. It may start small as it was in my life, but I pray that it will start. I thank you for this Canaan society, how urgently we need meetings like this, even though it's a bit of a hardship in some ways. And we pray this ministry will explode. There's many, many uh, people all around us that don't, men don't even know about this movement of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we pray that this very day will be a transformational day in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.